Good morning, Elsia. Today is Sunday, August 9th, 2020. We're now one full week into our Godly Sorrow series. And your pastors are seeing the fruit of what it is producing in you, church. Come on, we'd like to pull up a slide to help you to remember where we've been in the last week. We talked about earnestness. Somebody say earnestness. Earnestness. We're going to remind you that this is the first step. You can't skip past this step. You got to start with an earnest heart. You got to have speed, urgent and diligent effort in everything that you're doing. This is the kind of attitude that has to be generated in us that sees the heart of God and we are running to get to the center. We're running to get to the very heart of the matter in everything that we do. You don't even have the beginnings of godly sorrow until you can see an earnestness that's produced in you so that we start and we go after the things that God cares about. That we go after it in such a way that says, Lord, we are being earnest because it's being proven because you can see our urgent and diligent effort. Oh, the next thing that godly sorrow produces is eagerness. Actions that act as a defense or plea to clear yourself of the stain of sin. Acquiring a divine defense instead of self-defense. Acquiring divine direction instead of self-guided salvation and direction. Do you guys remember this? Well, let's go back to 2 Corinthians 7 and verse 10 and see where we need to begin. Go ahead and get there in your Bible. You need to have this in front of your face, not just on the screen. Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse 10. Say godly sorrow when you get there. All right. That's about 30% of us. Here we go. It's all right. Here we go. Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse 10 says this godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow only brings death. Now we have been focusing on what godly sorrow does. You can take a look at this slide as a summation because we're trying to get it down into your soul. We're trying to allow you to see it, but we're trying to get it down in you. What does godly sorrow do? It brings repentance to you. It puts your heart in the right place. We're going to call that earnestness. It puts your actions divinely ordered. We're going to call that eagerness because that's what the word of God does. That brings repentance. It's going to lead you to salvation. Yeah. Come on. It is going to lead you through that repentance to a place where God's saving power is at work in you. Every day, in every way, in every hour, in every area of your life. And it's going to leave you no regret. My God, what a great thing that God is beginning to do in us. What he's stirring on the inside of us. We're only seven days into this. (laughs) It feels like to me this has been weeks on end because it's been every day and every conversation that we've had with you that we're saying godly sorrow has to be producing something in us. See, only death is brought by worldly sorrow. Yeah. Yeah, we know that. Yes, pastor, that's what the scripture clearly says. Yes. But what areas on the inside of you are still being affected by worldly sorrow instead of godly sorrow? I'll tell you. Good question. I'm glad you asked. (laughs) They're the areas that you're still fearful in instead of faithful in. Come on. They're the areas where you keep being conquered instead of being more than a conqueror. They're the places where you're discouraged, walking in despair, having despondency set upon you instead of being encouraged and empowered by the very Spirit of God. See, godly sorrow does some incredible things. It brings you to repentance. It leads you to salvation. It leaves no regret. And then it begins to produce something in you. 
It not only does these three great things, but it starts producing something in you. Let's look at verse 11, right there in your Bibles, in 2 Corinthians 7. As we read verse 11, put up the next slide of the chiastic structure. See what this godly indignation has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves. What indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern. What readiness to see justice done. In this chiastic structure illustrating what is what we just read in verse 11 we start on the left side at the top with earnestness and we are now on our third step progressing in the chiastic structure to the point of indignation say indignation indignation which brings us to the title of today's sermon it's godly sorrow carriers of indignation come on now say that with us say carriers Carriers. of of indignation what a strange place for us to start today What an interesting thought. There's probably some of us in the room that's not completely sure what indignation is. We're going to kind of pretend like from the context we're going to get what's being said. Anybody honest enough to go, yeah, I don't really know what we're talking about here? I'm I'm ignorant of indignation. (laughs) Hey, if the Bible says that this is part of what godly sorrows produces and we don't even know what it is, (laughs) we might want to dig in a little bit today. Yes, we do. Somebody say, thank you, pastors. Thank you, pastors. Let's put up this next slide. This is from the Greek word. I'm going to let you say it. Agonectesis. Yeah, well, it's right, because I got the mic. That was spot So take on. that. Let's look at our definition of what this word is. And I need you to be with us here. Yeah. We're going to start from a place that is going to continue to revolutionize your walk with the Lord. An earnestness an eagerness, an indignation that God is trying to produce in us through godly sorrow. This is to be under a great burden resulting in indignation for sin. Come on. To be under a great burden resulting in indignation for sin is going to be our primary definition of the word indignation today. See, it's a great burden. You're actually trying to take on a burden that results in hatred of sin and the separation that that sin causes. Understand, church, we're not talking about just the weight of sin. We're talking about taking on the great burden of hating sin. There's lots of people that walk around under the burden of sin. They walk around under the, the penalty of sin, under the great weight of what it is and what it does. And these people, you can see them. They're just getting driven right down into the ground by the weight of sin. What we're talking about in indignation is having a great fire, a great hatred for the sin that yes. puts you in that spot. Yes. Pastor, I feel weight. I feel it on my shoulders. Yeah, that's not necessarily what we're talking about. We're talking about the indignation that comes from us. We're actually trying to take a weight upon us. What a strange thought. We are trying to get the right kind of weight put on our shoulders, to be put on us. Because when that happens, when you actually have indignation for the sin and what it causes in your life and in the lives of those around you, you see that godly sorrow is at work indignation a definition of it is a feeling or showing of anger or annoyance at something that's perceived as unfair our definition is going to show you that it's to be under a great burden resulting in indignation for sin you know the word comes from the 1500s indignation 
It means to be regarded as unworthy. To be regarded as unworthy. Man, we're going to work through this today, and you're going to see that there's a difference in you feeling unworthy and you hating the sin that causes you to be unworthy. See, there's a big difference that we got going on, and we need you to come with us today. See, our godly indignation hates sin. You know why? Because our righteous God hates it. And we cannot stand in a place that's different than where He stands. Our attempts at reaching indignation before we have rightly walked through earnestness and eagerness causes us to rush towards elevating a weight produced by sin, but it leaves us without the actual weight and right burden of godly indignation. I'm going to say it again. Because we're shifting the way that you think, so it's okay. We don't need to move through this too quickly and have you miss the point. Our attempts at reaching indignation... This kind of godly indignation, before we've walked through earnestness, before we've rightly had eagerness as acting as our defined defense, you're seeking to put a weight on your shoulders. I know I'm supposed to feel bad, so I'm just going to put a weight here. When you are walking through godly sorrow rightly, you can have a weight on your shoulders that is rightly placed from the heavens, and it will change the way that you walk. It'll change the way that you engage with Scripture. It'll change the way that you live. See, we're going to get the right kind of weight on us. Let's all turn to Exodus chapter 12 together. We're going to look at verse 34. We're going to get the right kind of weight on our shoulders. When you get there, say indignation. Exodus 12 and verse 34. It says this. So the people took their dough before the yeast was added and carried it on their shoulders. In kneading troughs wrapped in clothing. See, this is the exodus of God's people out of Egypt. They're right on the cusp of being liberated in a way that is legendary. That is still what we talk about today. They're beginning to get a picture of godly indignation in their own lives. Why? Because God said, you have got to get away. Wouldn't you think, if you're about to have an exodus, don't you think you want to get rid of everything? Jettison anything that you don't need? Yes, that's exactly what you would want to do. But God is saying here, you need to have the right kind of weight on your shoulders. You've got to take something onto you. What do you have to take onto you? The unleavened bread of God's word. You have to begin by taking that and carrying it and say, no, it's not somebody else's responsibility. I have to carry this weight. The only right, it's only right for us to carry this kind of weight upon our shoulders, upon us. Godly indignation. Shows us that a hatred of sin is rightly placed after. Somebody say after. After. Godly indignation shows us that a hatred of sin is rightly placed after we are carrying the weight of God's word upon us. If you get this in the right order, you might feel a weight, but it won't be godly indignation. It might be worldly indignation and it might produce death in you. You have to first put the word of God upon you and then you can have a chance at godly indignation. Somebody say indignation. Indignation. See, there was a reason that God wanted them to put the unleavened bread on their shoulder. It was to put the right weight of his word on their shoulders. They were to carry God's word instead of carrying the mourning of loss that they had in Egypt. I want to make sure that you guys get the understanding that we're laying down this morning of godly indignation. 
They were not commanded to mourn their loss of Egypt. They were commanded to carry on their shoulders the promises of God's word and what it would bring about through the desert and into the promised land. Well, how much do we carry on our shoulders that God never assigned to be carried there? We are carrying the weight of our own sin, but instead we should be carrying God's word, which gives us a hatred for sin. The first scripture that I drilled into the hearts of my children was Psalm 119.11. I hide your word in my heart so that I might not sin against you. Not, I hate myself so much and therefore I will not sin against you. God's word is the answer that brings about the right godly indignation and removes from us the mourning and loss of our own sin. Let's go to Numbers chapter 11. We'll start in verse 12. Say indignation when you get there. Numbers 11, 12. This is Moses speaking. Did I conceive all these people? Great place to start a scripture. The answer is no. Very rhetorical, I hope. Did I give them birth? Why do you tell me to carry them in my arms as a nurse carries an infant to the land you promise on oath to their forefathers? Moses is wrestling with something here. He's wrestling with worldly sorrow. See, worldly sorrow is so much at work in Moses that he's looking at God and saying, why did you tell me to carry them in my arms? Wait a minute. I thought it was God who carried them through the desert. I thought it was God who supplied every ample need that they ever had, rescuing them from death and into life. Worldly sorrow is being displayed in Moses and inside of you and me through self-sufficiency. That self-sufficiency that cannot carry the burdens of the sinful nature. See, your own ability to work salvation for you or for other people will never be sufficient enough. To fully satisfy the effects of the sinful nature. And then it goes a step further. Once my self-sufficiency runs out. All my strength is gone to provide my salvation and your salvation. We begin to blame the authorities that God has put above us. He is looking right at God and blaming God for being in this condition. Which is really his own self-sufficiency and thereby worldly sorrow. Let's look at verse 13 and see how this continues. He goes on to say, where can I get meat for all of these people? They keep wailing to me. Give us meat to eat. To put this in right context and chronology of events, this is the second time God is giving quail. This is in the second year out of Egypt. It's actually in the second month and one year anniversary of the first time that God gave quail. See, the first thing that God, the first time God gave quail He gave it to them to show them a supernatural sign. And it was the inaugural event of the word of God. The bread, the manna from heaven that was going to supply all their needs. But now they were dissatisfied with that manna. Dissatisfied with that unleavened bread that was on their shoulders. They said, I want something special like I had when I first began. I want that same anointing, that same touch, that same experience that I had when I was first saved. Because what you've given me since then isn't good enough. 
Now Moses said, hey, I can't carry these guys in my arms anymore. Look at what they're doing. But isn't Moses kind of doing the same thing to God? What you've given me isn't good enough. Well, this is the second giving of the quail, second year out of Egypt, second month. You can't carry them. They're hungry for something more. Moses is carrying in his arms a two-year-old. A two-year-old nation of, of Israel that is a bit too heavy to keep on their hip anymore. This child is too heavy. My arms and my biceps are trembling. My arms are about to give out. Nobody knows what that's like in this room. Verse 14, he continues. I cannot carry all these people by myself. The burden is too heavy for me. If this is how you're going to treat me, put me to death right now, God, if I find favor in your eyes. Put me to death, favor. Hmm, okay. Bit of self-loathing here. And do not let my face, or do not let me face my own ruin. What is he really concerned about? Self. Self-sufficiency, self-centeredness, his self-glory. When he says, I cannot carry, this burden is too heavy for me. Moses was overwhelmed by the carrying of the sinful nature of the people. And he was eventually crushed by it. That was a blessing. It's a blessing to be crushed by this. And here's exactly why. Moses was not leading out of a godly indignation. He was leading out of a worldly indignation. He was working salvation for others out of his own strength and ended up carrying their cross instead of leading them to their own. Over the course of my walk with the Lord, I have seen this up close and personal. Where we have spent time and time again carrying people's crosses for them. And as long as we were right there for that next phone call, for that every minute, every hour checkup to make sure they were doing okay, they thrived in the Lord. But the minute that we stepped away and demanded that they carry their own cross, they carry their own burdens, they fall flat on their face, and they literally run from the kingdom. They flee away from Jesus. See, once the burden of hating their own sin was placed on their shoulders, it became evident if they had the effectual work of godly sorrow or the work of death and worldly sorrow. See, we need the ability to distinguish in our own discipleship and making disciples. Are we carrying a great burden for them or are we showing them how to carry the great burden that belongs to them? As leaders and leaders of any kind, God will make sure that you are disciplined by the crushing of carrying other people's crosses and burdens. Because he loves you as a legitimate son and that he allows this burden to become too heavy for you. God is getting you to the point that you are crying out for his strength. You're crying out for his wisdom. You're crying out for his godly indignation and not your own. See, remember that definition that pastor shared with us, that this is a great burden that results in the indignation for sin. Let's look at the next verse to see how God responds to this. Verse 16, the Lord said to Moses, bring me 70 of Israel's elders. Mm who are known to you as leaders and officials among the people. How many elders are there? Seventy. Uh-huh. Very interesting. Have them come to the tent of meeting, that they may stand there with you. 
Church, when you've got worldly sorrow, it's going to produce a crushing, a crushing impact in your life. This is starting to be the beginning of a godly sorrow, a godly indignation that's working here. Go to where God's presence is, that He might meet with you, and that you might have brothers who can stand with you. I will come down and speak with you there. I will take of the Spirit that is on you and put the Spirit on them. They will help you carry the burden of the people so that you don't have to carry it alone. See, now that we've seen the Word of God carried on the shoulders of men, what are you looking at here in Numbers 11? You're looking at the Spirit of God descending down and coming and being put on the shoulders of these 70. Somebody say 70. 70. Who are known to be leaders. These are not novices. These are not people just with great potential. You're seeing it in them. They've proven themselves. These are men who can walk in godly indignation. They have the right kind of burden upon them. Church, carrying the wrong burdens keeps us from the power that we need. Come on. Carrying the wrong burdens. Carrying the burdens of worldly indignation instead of godly indignation keeps you from getting the power that you need from God. I know this is right. Yeah. I can feel it. You can stay quiet as much as you like. That's fine. Because I'm going to take this that God is piercing your very soul with this. How many times do you think it's just about picking up some other weight? No, it's about having godly indignation in you. It's not just picking up any weight because you're going to wear yourself out. Has anybody ever worn themselves out trying really hard, even for God? Yes. You're trying hard enough, but your family's falling apart. That's not godly indignation. That's you trying this in your own strength. When you're carrying the wrong burdens... It keeps you from the power you need, church, to carry godly indignation. We need to be empowered by the unleavened bread. We need to be empowered by the very Spirit of God upon us. Let me explain to you what some wrong burdens are. Tell us, Pastor. This is not just about hating yourself when you sin. This is not about how much you can beat yourself up in your own thoughts, in your own emotions. Come but on. pastor, how about I call Pastor Matt just so he'll, he'll, he'll add the burden that I was supposed to be carrying the whole time. Worldly indignation. I need someone else to tell me that I did wrong. Worldly indignation. I'm trying to put some type of weight so I'll feel better about my own self and about how I, I, I am doing. A worldly indignation hates the consequences of sin. A worldly indication is just you being mad that you messed up. It can be driven by your own pride. Yeah. A worldly indignation, what I'm saying is it's focused on you. What you did. That your self-righteous stance got embarrassed. That you failed. That you, that you, that you. That's not godly indignation, church. Worldly indignation is focused on your feelings of unworthiness. To rightly carry the weight of indignation allows that that which is deposited in you. That the spirit that was upon Moses was given but he said it was the spirit that he would put on them. Yeah. I'll take from the spirit that's on you, Moses, and put 
the spirit on the people. See, this is not Moses being divided 70 ways. This is Moses and what he had and what the godly indignation that was working in his life being multiplied into 70 other men who would do the same. We are not divided when this happens. When you put a godly indignation on you, it doesn't divide you. It actually begins to multiply the work of God in your life. See, are you hearing more than just singularity in the walk with the Lord? You're hearing what true discipleship does. True discipleship is not about elevating a few men higher and higher. It's about us all learning to carry the same burden, the same burden in godly indignation in the same way that the men of God before us have done it. Amen. All the way back to Moses, all the way back to Abraham. This is what we must learn to carry. A worldly indignation only focuses on ourselves and our own efforts instead of being carriers of God's Word, instead of being carriers of the very Spirit of God, instead of being carriers of godly indignation. Somebody say indignation. Indignation. Go to Second Samuel chapter 6. Say indignation when you're there. Very good, Annie. When they came to the threshing floor of Nahon, Uzzah reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the ark oxen stumbled. The Lord's anger burned against Uzzah because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down and he died there beside the ark of God. What we begin to notice in this passage is that you have what seems to be a godly indignation in Uzzah. But it's not recognized that it's worldly indignation until the oxen stumbles. Oxen is a sign of strength. When you study the Paleo-Hebrew, the first letter of the Hebrew alphabet is the image of an ox. And it does mean strength. There's a strength here of a system that was set up and it began to fail. When that strength failed, a man with a good idea, but full of worldly indignation, reached out to try and steady, try to recover, try to stabilize the centerpiece of God's presence. The ability to obey the commands of God flew out the window and he tried to reach out in his own strength to accomplish what God wanted. Never seen that. But this began well before the oxen stumbled, though. There's a stumbling that led up to this point that put Uzzah in a position to not fulfill God's commands. See, David's absence of godly indignation, meaning having a burden that results in indignation for sin, allowed there to be the reassignment of the great burden of the ark of God to be put on the shoulders of a beast of burden. And that resulted in death. The way this relates to you and me is that we cannot put our mind, will, emotions, definitely not our flesh, in charge of carrying what our spirit should. We cannot put our mind, our will, emotions, or flesh in charge of carrying what our spirit should. 
See, this was placed upon the strength and system that God said not to. God said, you are to carry this on your shoulders, the shoulders of men. But there was a desire, an alleviation, a desire to alleviate from the shoulders of men this great burden to carry God's presence. Let's just put this in simpler terms. Whenever we desire to want our pastor, want our authorities, want our brothers or our sisters to carry the great burden of our responsibility to die on the cross, we're putting it on ox and cart. Whenever we are seeking for some system to put in place to try and crucify our own sinful nature, rather than taking the responsibility to hate sin, to love God's word, and let it have godly indignation inside of us, we are carrying his presence on oxen cart. And what God is faithful to do is to let that oxen stumble and then see what you do. See, godly sorrow produces indignation when encountering an irreverent act. Because God hated this sin. God saw it as an irreverent act. God had sorrow rightly about this incident. And so therefore he had godly indignation. And that is the model that we are to pattern ourselves after. The irreverent act was a result of David not rightly carrying the ark of God as it should. By putting it on oxen cart instead of the shoulders of men, he put not only his life, but the lives of all those that were with him at risk. See, soulish effort is oxen cart. It is worldly indignation. Self-sufficiency, this soulish effort, will always keep you from the power you need to be a carrier of godly indignation. Let's say this. Let me let me jump in here for just a second. Do you understand what pastor's saying to you? That worldly indignation is going to cause you to look for ways to unload the burden. Yeah. To get it with someone else. To let someone else be carrying. Let's do this in a more efficient way. No, it, a godly indignation causes you to put the burden of God's word upon you. To put the burden of his spirit upon you. This is what we must be doing. Our self-sufficiency has to die. It's a sign of worldly indignation. See, this great burden of obeying God's commands is supposed to be placed on us. That's dictated by number seven, verse nine. Let me read it to you. But Moses did not give any oxen or carts to the Kohathites because they were to carry on their shoulders the holy things. Oh, it's not just common things that you're to carry on your shoulders. It's the holy things of God for which they were responsible Say this with me. Say, I need, I need to take responsibility, to take responsibility for the holy things that God has given me. For the holy things that God has given me. You see, having the great burden of the presence and the ark of God on your shoulders will produce in you a godly indignation that hates sin. No, I cannot think about that. No, I cannot want that. No, I cannot pursue that. The holy things of God sit upon my shoulder. Nolan, you are carrying the holy things on your shoulder, son. Bonham, you are carrying the holy things on your shoulder. Every person, man and woman and child, is designed by God to have the responsibility of carrying the holy things on your shoulder. We have a sign here, a placard. 
that defines part of who we are. Holiness or die trying. It's not worth it. The attitude that I have that you should have is that when it comes to carrying the holy things of God, it's not worth it to take that off of my shoulder and put something else that God didn't design. Holiness with God is not worth exchanging for a temporal pleasure of this world of my flesh. And I mean, even that smallest of thought that wants to challenge the will and the function of God's call in my life. I will not surrender my mezuzah to anyone or anything else. That's the holy thing that God has put on my shoulder. That's the thing that gives me confidence to walk with my head held high and overcome every obstacle in front of me. Having that word, that unleavened bread on your shoulders, the spirit of God on your shoulders, the ark of God on your shoulders is what you were designed to carry. You're fit for it. When we are rightly carrying the holy things of God, we are rightly being led by the holiness of God. And thereby we can be carriers of godly indignation, shouldering the great burden of the hatred of sin. Let's go to verse 8. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broke out against Uzzah. And to this day, that place is called Perez Uzzah. See, David was indignant, but he was indignant from a worldly sorrow perspective. One that was based out of his own pride, out of his own sinful nature. He was mad at God at an injustice, but that was determined by David's own standard of injustice. See, worldly indignation resents God's indignation. He resents God's correction because it loves its own means of holiness instead of the Lord's. Consider Psalm 36 too. When you, in your own eyes, you flatter yourself too much to detect or hate your own sin. Hate your own sin. You've got to have a godly indignation. By the way, this was David that also wrote this. He got this right. He learned what a godly indignation was about, but he also learned what a worldly indignation does. It blinds you. Your own flattery. It blinds you from being able to detect or hate your own sin. We might really, really hate someone else's sin. I really, really dislike this person and what they do. All the while, needing godly indignation to come into us first. Somebody say first. first. got to have that upon your shoulder, that word upon your shoulder, the spirit, the holy things there first. So that then you can have a hatred towards your sin. Let's all turn to Psalm 32. Psalm 32 and verse 9. Say indignation when you get there. It says this, do not be like the horse or the mule. Amen. That's a good word. That's a great word. Do not be like the horse or the mule. If you want to go King James, we can. Do not be like the horse or the mule, which have no understanding. Which are trying to decide for themselves what, what, a, what indignation should look like, but it always just ends up in death. Don't be like a horse or a mule and start with your own stance instead of putting and carrying God's presence and His Word upon your shoulders. They have no understanding, but they must be controlled by bit and bridle or they will not come to you. Come on now, church. 
I, let's, let me not even ask you about it. I can tell you there are many times in my life where God has had to use bit and bridle to move me where I was supposed to be. I was being stubborn like a mule. I was acting like an animal. I was just doing what I wanted to do, thinking that I had it all figured out against all actual evidence. That's just me, I guess. No. See, when we're trying to carry our own burdens instead of having that precious unleavened bread put upon us, when we're trying to carry our own responsibilities instead of having the very Spirit of God come upon our shoulders, when we're trying to take care of restoration in our own selves through worldly indignation, it never works. It never works out for us. We're being just like a beast of burden. And we're controlled by external forces. External forces to get us motivated. External forces to correct us. External forces to get us to move. That's worldly indignation today. You haven't put on and carried the right burden yet. You're a beast of burden, all right, but you're marking it by carrying the wrong thing. You're carrying the wrong burden. Look at verse 10. Many are the woes of the wicked. But the Lord's unfailing love surrounds the man who trusts in Him. Amen. The unfailing love of God surrounds you when you start having an actual godly indignation. Driven by this trust, you trust Him. So you're going to look and get that word on your shoulder. You're going to get the holy things there so that you only do exactly what He desires. Lord, I trust you. Say that with me. Say, Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. Say it again. Lord, I trust you. Lord, I trust you. See, when you are walking in godly indignation, that becomes not just a phrase in your mouth. It becomes the very marker of your heart because you're surrounded by him. You're surrounded by his presence. You're surrounded by his word. Psalm 45, 7 says this. You love righteousness and hate wickedness. You know who this psalm is about? It's about David. It's also about the Lord. (laughs) Because David had the heart that he understood godly indignation. He had put the right things upon him and was carrying this great burden that caused for an indignation against sin. He said, you love righteousness and you hate wickedness. Anybody notice something about that order? What are you supposed to do first? Love righteousness. You're supposed to carry God's word. You're supposed to carry God's presence. You're supposed to carry the holy things. And then you can hate wickedness. Yeah. This is a shift down in our souls. This is a shift that we have to make. Yes, we're supposed to hate wickedness. Yes, you're supposed to hate sin. But it's after first you fall in love and you're carrying what he gave you to carry. Yes. I'm telling you how to carry this out. The Word of God is helping us today. Those things that you haven't been able to do and you just kind of in your own heart start just blaming God. It must not be. It must just be a a select group of people. No, I'm telling every man and woman in this room how you can walk out and love righteousness first and then you can hate wickedness. But we're earnest about our hating wickedness. Yeah, that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to love righteousness. Carry what He's put upon you. Carry the burden first. And then it's actually godly indignation. Yes. You actually can be set free. You can actually overcome the things that you've never been able to overcome before. Godly indignation hates sin because our righteous God hates it. you got to carry His Word, church. You do. 
You got to carry his spirit, church. You got to carry those holy things in your life, church. You have got to carry godly indignation because nothing else is going to work for you. Amen. You know, the writer of these Psalms, David, that story in 2 Samuel 6 carries on to show how David overcame his worldly indignation. He repented. He experienced godly sorrow and thereby produced godly indignation. Sacrificing every six steps on his way to bring that ark rightly on the shoulders of men to the city that God said so. See, when we are carrying his word on our shoulders, there is hope. There is the oil of joy. There is resurrection power that can give us the right kind of godly indignation that first loves righteousness and thereby enables us to hate wickedness. You know that Greek word that pastor showed at the very beginning of the sermon? Strong's number 24, only time used in 2 Corinthians 7:11. It has a base root word that enables us to get a clear picture this morning. Let's move to the next slide. Agkale, Strong's number 43, the arm when bent. We have indignation being founded upon the imagery of the arm when it is bent. It's carrying that great burden rightly before God and able to produce a godly indignation because it loves righteousness first. Everybody go with me to Luke chapter 2 and verse 28 and say indignation when you get there. Is everybody there? This is important. Simeon took him. This is Jesus when he's being dedicated at the temple. Simeon took him in his arms. That phrase, in his arms, is Strong's number 43. It is the only occurrence of this Greek word in all of the New Testament. Simeon took the living word of God in his arms, bent, carrying this great burden. It was a demonstration of a love of righteousness, which then produced a hatred for his wickedness. That Simeon is demonstrating this very thing of having godly indignation, bending his arms, carrying the Son of God. And with the Son of God in his hands and bent arms, he says, praising God, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. He's saying, I can now die. I have the Son of God, the Word of God in flesh in front of me. It's a great burden that I have been longing to hold up and lift up. I can now die in right shalom. For my eyes have seen your salvation. It's almost like godly sorrow brings you to repentance, leads you to salvation. For Simeon, it's literally in his arms being lifted up, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. Oh man, what does it look like when we begin to experience this godly indignation? It is the, the produce of being able to be brought to repentance, led to salvation, leaving no regret, resulting in revelation for us Gentiles and glory for the house of Israel. The way we do this is that 
we're to carry. Lift up the sun. We begin to lift up the sun, not lifting up our sin. What does godly sorrow seek to produce inside of you? It is a wanting. It is a desire. It is a burning passion to want to grab the word of God, carry the great burden of it, and lift up the sun, not lift up your sin. Have it rightly on your shoulders. When we are bending our arms to lift up the sun, we become indignant at sin. When we love righteousness, we then can hate wickedness. See, when you're no longer nursing your worldly indignation, but instead lifting up the one who brings us godly indignation, that is resurrection power. We must be indignant at sin because of our love for the risen son. This morning... We're going to lift up the sun. This morning we're going to have resurrection power. Asking God to fill us with that same spirit that filled the 70 elders. Enable us to carry this great burden, O God. But we're going to do it by lifting up the sun, not lifting up our sin. We're going to be empowered by the spirit of God as we lift up the sun. And thereby become empowered to be carriers of godly indignation. Come on, somebody say indignation. Let's turn to Galatians chapter 6 together. Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 1. Say indignation when you get there. Man, what is it like for us to get rid of wrong burdens? What is it like for us to get rid of carrying the wrong thing that we might carry the very presence of God? What is it like that we can get rid of the things that we've been carrying around that have just been weighing us down and wearing us out and actually lift up the sun in our life? Let's look at Galatians 6 here. It said, brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, man, it's almost like this situation needs godly sorrow to be impacting it. If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. Boy, isn't that a burden that we carry? If we mess up, we're going to get disqualified. We're going to get excommunicated. We're going to get thrown out. That's why I'm not transparent, Pastor. It's because I'm afraid. You're carrying the wrong thing, my friend. You're carrying some type of worldly indignation that's going to keep you from being lifted up. That's going to keep you from being victorious. You who are spiritual should restore him gently. Wow. I wonder where you can go. A a place. Maybe if only there were a body, a, a group, a family that you can go to to help you find restoration. But watch yourself. Or you too may be tempted you got to watch yourself. Why? Because you can fall into a place where you are being more compassionate than what God is. Where you are trying to define what that restoration should look like instead of going back to the Word. That was David's problem, wasn't it? He wanted to do something right. He wanted to get the ark back where it belonged. But he didn't do it in the way that was generated from divine direction in his life. See, this is the context of seeing a brother who has sinned and walk and needs to walk in godly sorrow. You can't allow your standards to drop while you turn and try to help someone else. Verse 2, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. Anybody care about fulfilling the law of Christ? Yes. Anybody want to do this rightly? Yes. Man, this is a serious burden that you have to learn how to carry rightly. Carrying each other's burdens. 
not their burden that's supposed to be carrying them towards godly indignation. You got to make sure that your brother isn't getting crushed by the load. You got to make sure that you're not dropping the standard to be able to help someone else. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Let me just share from personal experience here for a second. I've had many times in my life where I got very, very busy about what, what I wanted to do or what I thought would please God. And in the process of it, my family suffered. In the process of it, my own personal walk with the Lord suffered. In the process of it, I got so burdened, I couldn't make it another day. I began to cry out to the Lord, I'm just trying to please you. Why is this happening to me? Man, I can tell you the answer in succinct form for you today. It's because I had a worldly indignation. It's because I had worldly direction going on in my life, and I wasn't walking in this kind of a path. Lord, I'm only trying to help someone else. No, I was getting under somebody else's load that they were supposed to carry, and I was trying to carry it for them. Let me carry your cross. Let me do what for you what you should be doing because you have the weight of indignation upon you. How many times have I messed this up? Trying to do it for you. Trying to feel the weight of sin because I feel the weight of sin. I'm trying to make you feel what I'm feeling. You better watch out or you might be tempted too. You better watch out on this. Why? Because that's not what we are supposed to do. Each of us is responsible to carry the weight of godly indignation upon our own shoulders. I can't do it for you. Believe me, I've tried. And all I do is waste my strength. All I do is continue to walk in worldly indignation until the Lord shows me how to do this rightly. We got to do what God did for Moses. We've got to make sure that our brother isn't getting crushed under a load, but put the right spirit upon them, put the right word upon them that they can carry this. Look at verse 3. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing. <clears throat> If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing. Let me, let me rephrase it in light of today. If you think that you're carrying a great load when you're actually only carrying worldly indignation. He deceives himself. Wow. <laughs> I don't have to ask you if you've done this. A better question would be, have you done this today? <laughs> this idea, he is something when he's nothing. This is not meant to put you down. This is meant to put you under the right burden of, of godly indignation. So that you're not walking in deception. So you can actually see yourself correctly. When you're carrying this rightly, you know each one should test his own actions. Somebody say, test his own actions. Test his own actions. Let's put this better. Say, test my actions. Test my actions. Whose actions are you supposed to be testing? My. Yours. How much time do you spend testing everyone else's actions? A lot. Too much. Then you can take pride in yourself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Each one has a responsibility to carry godly indignation. Man, you got to examine and test yourself. So you don't need to be comparing yourself with anyone else because you're rightly holding on to godly indignation. Hey church, consider your elders for a second. Yeah. What kind of load do these men have on their shoulders? What kind of responsibilities do they have? And then they're able to help you. How are they able to do that? 
Because they have first taken in a godly indignation that loves righteousness and hates wickedness, that puts on their shoulders the Word, the Spirit, the very holy things of God, and then they're able to rightly see what you need and help them. Don't ignore your responsibilities because you say you're helping someone else. Don't neglect your own family, your own work with the Lord because you've been distracted. Don't reinterpret your mezuzah to be something that it's not. To be an excuse to do what you think you want to do instead of carrying the very word and spirit of God upon you. Oh, that our hearts were inclined to have the weight of godly indignation upon us. Lord, put that burden on us. So many in the Christian world want to take every burden off. If there's a burden, they think it's bad. I'm saying I want a burden of godly indignation. A burden that loves His Word. That gets me back to what I need to be a part of. That gets me in my heart in the right place so that I can actually experience victory in every way. Godly indignation is what we're talking about. That we take upon this burden and we carry our own load. Church, this morning we're going to get back to what we need to have godly indignation. Turn with me to Revelation chapter 2. We'll start in verse 4. Say indignation whenever you get there. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. See, the church of Ephesus was praised for their deeds, their hard work, their hupomone, not tolerating wicked men, calling out false apostles, and even not growing weary. These are some pretty admirable traits, praiseworthy in every regard. They're actually traits that I see here at LCM, inside of you and me, where we have that hupomone, we have that desire to call out falsehoods and bring men into account with God. We want to continue to do that. But like the church of Ephesus, we also have to be ready to repent. Repent of not obtaining, not walking in the first love. See, the church of Ephesus and us as well, They needed to get back to the source of their godly indignation. Remember we read earlier that we are to love righteousness and then hate wickedness. They were so busy, busy with going out and addressing things that are out of shalom all around them that they actually forgot the point of origin by which they measure everything is out of shalom. It's having that first love for God. This is something personal to me. A couple of years ago, the Lord began to deal with my heart. He says, Matt, I know you are very busy. You are putting your hand to the plow. You're not looking back. You're doing exactly what I told you to do. But the motivator inside of you now is not the same that it was before. You're being motivated by your own self-sufficiency to bring about your own self-righteousness. You're being motivated by your own strength to try and carry out my will so that you can prove to your insecurity that you're really good enough. And I am causing your oxen to stumble. I'm causing the wheels of your cart to come off so I can get your attention and draw you back to the first love that I have for you that you are to have for me. Going that overwhelming sense of love and adoration of I don't do these things because I'm so in love with Jesus.
Shortly after I was born again, there was a guy I ran into from my past before Jesus. And he said, hey, Matt, how you been doing? I said, great, man. I said, I'm, I'm in love with Jesus. And he goes, what? That's not, that's not anything you've ever known before beforehand. He said, you're not out partying. You're not doing all these things now that you're you know, older than 18 years old. I said, no, man, I don't do those things. I said, why not? And I, un, unpremeditated. It just flew out of my mouth. I don't do those things because I'm in love with Jesus. By doing that wickedness, I would have a disdain for my love for him. But because I love him, I don't. And that gave me a godly indignation, not hating that man, hating what that man was trying to lead me into. And when I looked in his eyes, he saw the fire of God inside of me, that flame and that passion of a first love for Jesus. And I hope it convicted and burned his soul. I haven't seen him since. I hope he cried out in his bedroom like I did, saying, Lord, save me. Lord, change me. I want to obtain that first love that I saw in Matthew's eyes. Well, what do you need? You need to continue to do the things that you are already doing that are godly, but make sure it is grounded on God, on first love so that you can have godly indignation and not worldly indignation. Church, you can't do some of these things just in your own strength. We have a holy God. Somebody say holy. Holy. We have a God who is holy, holy, holy. And what he's demanding from us is that we walk in holiness. We've got to hate the sin. We've got to take the great burden. But that starts with us loving him, returning to that kind of love, holding him up, putting the right thing upon our shoulders so that we can execute our sin. Consider what Paul says in Romans 7, in verse 18. I know that nothing good lives in me. I know that I can't do this that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. I can't do it. My God is so holy. What He wants is so much. I can't do it in my own strength. I can't do it in my own cart. I can't do it in my own nature. I have to have godly indignation that rises up within me. I need that to show me how to stay, how to hate the sin, and how to hate the consequences of it. Man, I need godly indignation to help me carry out these godly desires that I do have. That reminds me of 2 Corinthians 4.10. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. What are you called to? What am I called to? To carry around first that death of Jesus so that the life, the resurrection power can be at work within you as well. What does this look like? Removing your ability to have self-sufficiency. Removing the ability to have your own oxen and cart. Laying it at the cross. Dying to self. Dying to self-sufficiency. So that resurrection power can be in you. And you can rightly hate sin because of your dependency on resurrection power. Come on, church. We're trying to get this burden upon our souls. We're kind of bring the burden to us. Bring this great indignation for sin. Think about how many things in your life that have been repetitive. Think about how many things have been there that need to get conquered today. Somebody say today. Today. See, we're going to walk and we're going to understand that there is a burden that you are seeking to put on your shoulders. As a matter of fact, Philippians 1.6 says that we can be confident of this. That he who began the good work, that if the godly indignation is there, he will also be faithful to complete it. He will carry it to completion inside of you. See, the the interesting thing here is as we try to actually carry God's indignation, godly indignation, as we carry his word and his spirit, we find out that his spirit is really carrying us in the process. 
Man, when Moses said, Lord, you said, why did you do this that I had to carry them? God told him the exact opposite. He said, I'm going to carry you on eagle's wings. I'm going I'm to carry your people like a father carries his son. See, we have to carry and get this indignation, this godly indignation to be at work in us. 1 John 5, 2 says this. This is how we know that we love the children of God. By loving God and carrying out His commands. Do you want to do God's will this morning? Well, we do God's will by looking at His Word that's supposed to be on our shoulders and rightly carrying it. Being led by His Spirit, carrying the ark of His presence on our shoulders, not allowing there to be any ox or carton, not allowing there to be any self-sufficiency that would try and stabilize His presence, but to let His presence stabilize us. Let His presence change us. And we got to remove our own strength this morning and cry out for his power and his strength to be rightly angry, to have godly uh, indignation that hates sin because we love his commands, because we love righteousness. Church, godly indignation causes us to rise in righteousness, to lift up the sun and defeat the sin that's there. We've got to love righteousness so that we can actually hate wickedness. My God, if we actually just hated the wickedness in our own heart, testing our own actions. This is a church that is beginning to develop this in new ways that God is leading us in. See, the way that you become indignant, the way that you have that godly burden of indignancy put upon you is when you lift up the sun and not your own sin. It's when you actually love Him enough that you hate your own sin. You love and you understand His holiness enough. You experience that holiness enough that it allows for you to drive sin away from you. Every thought. No thought becomes acceptable to you unless it's been driven from the Word. Unless it's been derived from the Word and derived from His Spirit. No attitude is acceptable to you. Can I tell you that in this last seven days in the Sutherland household, in my own heart, things that seemed acceptable before are no longer acceptable to me. Do you know why? It's because godly indignation is settling in. It's beginning to produce this in me. It was okay before. Well, actually, it wasn't okay. My own standard made me feel like it was okay. My own thoughts, my own cart said, you're just fine there, big guy. It's not true. God's saying you've got to hate sin. You don't hate sin. Lord, help me to put that burden on me where I'll hate sin. Lord, help me to carry that spirit and that word that will cause me to hate and be indignant at sin. It is what is unworthy in me. You have made me worthy. I've got to have this hatred towards sin. But I know it comes from me carrying the Word and the Spirit. It comes from me Amen. carrying the holy things of my Amen. life rightly. Amen. Come on, church. What about you today? Let's stand to our feet. Church, we have an opportunity. We have an opportunity right now to experience this next step in what godly sorrow produces. Opportunity to acquire godly indignation. I know every single one of you. I know your struggles. I know how you deal with them. And I know that you need to take the opportunity now to crush your carts, to sacrifice the strength of your oxen, 
to do away with your standard of what indignation looks like so that you can stand back up in the strength that God gives, having his empowerment to be a carrier of godly indignation. I want to do it his way. I want to sacrifice and crucify my own way. So as we begin to pray, make your way down to this altar so that we can stand up from this altar, empowered with the indignation of God. Mighty King, Lord, we thank you for your spirit and word that you have given us. May it rightly be on our shoulders as we carry your presence. Lord, as we take seriously the holy things and the responsibility for them. Lord, let repentance begin inside of us that will bring that lead us to salvation and leave no regret. Lord, that we can lay down at this altar our self-sufficiency, our self-directed standards, and rise in your empowerment and strength to carry your name, to carry your indignation that will bring repentance, lead to salvation, and leave no regret for others. Cleanse us, wash us this morning, mighty God, and may we rise pleasing and acceptable to you.